Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Hey guys, we're back. Welcome back to part two on stoicism and uh, in general these things. This this kind of Hellenistic philosophies. Um so I think the last time we we kind of introduced this this idea, this um this philosophy, stoicism, and we gave some general um how can we call it, general directions on what it is, and especially mm. we concentrated on this idea, this dichotomy between what you can what you can modify about the, 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 the world and what you cannot, and we mm-hmm. very very early on figure out that there is nothing uh, that is, exists outside your head that you can have a, a real effect mm-hmm. on, while instead you can control your, your feeling and emotions towards something, what's inside your head, so, so to speak. Yeah, and so, you know, in philosophy, we talk about this distinction between the is and the ought. Mm-hmm. And the Stoics, like so many people, are like, you look at the is, yeah. the structure of nature, and this will determine how you should be. Yeah, so there is this this form of naturalism, we can call it, right? Yep. Where you're supposed to, the best way of doing things is to adhere to what nature does. Mm-hmm. Uh, nature is doing, nature is truth and reality and we need to kind of mold our behaviors according to it yes and in terms of like because you you might be listening and say what are the goals of stoicism Mm -hmm. right yeah and this is where bringing up aristotle briefly i think helps because if you recall aristotle said we wanted to achieve eudaimonia right yes the eudaimon life and this is this way of um the capital G good. Yeah. You could say it's good spiritedness. Yeah. Being in a way that's closer to God's flourishing, just living the good life. Living well, right? Yeah. Living the good life. And so Aristotle thought the way you did that was by being virtuous. Yes. Right? By having the correct thought patterns and having the prudence to have the thought patterns manifest in proper action mm-hmm. um, at the right times and all balanced. Yeah. And he was all about moderation. Yes. And these virtues, this arete, is how you get eudaimonia. Now, I would say the Stoics, too, are concerned with eudaimonia. Absolutely. But the way they get there is not virtue, at least not virtue in the way Aristotle's talked about it. No. No, it's a little different, right? It is this apatheia, mm-hmm. right? It is this ataraxia in the case of mm-hmm. Epicurus. Mm-hmm. And it's very different because for Aristotle... It was all about balance, mm-hmm. not excess, not deficiency, mm-hmm. but somewhere in the middle, given the context of the situation. And Epictetus, like right in the beginning, he has this line, and as you something like, and as you seek to undertake such aims, i.e., Stoic, mm-hmm. giving up desire and all that stuff and aversion, do not do so moderately. Yeah. Right, but forgo some things completely, and I think that's a direct dig. Yeah, well, most likely, uh, I think that um, 
specifically what makes the Stoic philosophy very different from Aristotle is this this complete abandonment of a specific way of being, if you want, right? Mm. You cannot have, well, like all philosophers, well, like I shouldn't say all, like most philosophers, right? Um, Aristotle would say, yes, rationality is more important than passions, right? But still, Aristotle being Aristotle, I don't think he would say we need to get rid of all sorts of passions at all times. Because then you'd be a bore. Exactly. Yeah. While the Stoics are telling you, yes, you need to become absolutely dispassionate. I think that that is you know, the, a good translation, right? Mm. You need to be dispassionate. You need to remove all passions from your life. And there comes the stoic face, right? The, the, yes. the, the stone face that you're there and, and yes. no matter what happens. But again, as we said last time, that doesn't mean being apathetic necessarily. It just means that you are unfazed by the difficulties because you understand that this is the plan of the universe, mm-hmm. quote unquote. That this is like some sort of, um, it's different, I want to say, but some kind of predestination that goes on in there too, right? Mm. There is this, this idea that things are going to go in a specific way, regardless. And again, accepting it is the only thing that will lead you to to be um, to be happy, to live the good life. Because otherwise, you're still you're going to fight an impossible fight. Mm. Um, I think a way in which you can you can think about this, uh, the listener can think about this, is like the Stoics will tell you it is futile to fight against nature to fight against the world, do you really believe that you are going to change mm. the world? And think of it, wouldn't it be like um, futile and almost crazy thinking that, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to change gravity. I'm going to mm. reverse gravity and I can going to try until I do and I'm going to get very upset until I don't, I don't make that happen. And it's the same thing with everything else. Yep. Everything is part of nature, so you shouldn't do that because it's futile. Because so what happens is we make these expectations. Yes, and because you make the expectation, that's why you're let down. Mm-hmm. You know, he says you have the expectation that you're going to get something, mm-hmm. and when you don't, like that's unfortunate. And then you have the expectation that you're not going to fall into some bad thing, but then you do, and then that's misfortunate or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so. If we get rid of expectation, we get rid of the condition for the possibility of bad things yes, in life. exactly. Right? So it's like you don't want to feel those bad things? Take away the most basic ingredient. And you will, he says you will never be harmed. Yeah. You can never be harmed. Mm-hmm. And it is extreme. Yes, right? it is. It's not moderate by definition. And I think there, as we go through his ideas, some of them... I think people are more on board with. They're like, oh, okay, I get that. And then at some point, people wind up being like, oh, that's kind of extreme. So the more quote-unquote acceptable ones to most people would be, he says, hey, if you're going to a bathhouse, but just replace this with like a pool for us, right? Say to yourself before you do something, what's what's likely to happen? Like what happens? Oh, people splash. People yell. Little kids are running around. So don't don't want the ideal version, right? Just want it to happen how it's going to happen. So that way when you go to the pool or the bathhouse... Exactly. You don't going to get upset because somebody's no splashing surprise. you. No <laughs> surprise. Exactly. You're like, yep, that was going to happen. I knew that. Yeah. All right? Or like, I heard the baby crying in the airplane and I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 
And as you're saying, these are the least extreme ones, right? Mm -hmm. Pre be prepared. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, before we get to the even more extreme ones, and again, usually people are like, whoa, <laughs> wow, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. Why, you didn't just say that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering how do we feel about this thing and how is this related? And I was mentioning this in the previous episode. How is this related with, with the way we think we should live our life, right? Usually the expectation for the modern man or the postmodern man, whatever you want to call us. Mm, or the post-postmodern man. <laughs> whatever we are. Uh, the contemporary man. There, there you go, go. There you go. Uh, is this idea that I have expectations for my life mm -hmm. and to realize my potential, I will need to fulfill those expectations that mm -hmm. I have, that my family has, the society has of me. And in order for a human being to be functional and to be happy, this human being needs to have some desires that need to be fulfilled. So the having desire fulfilled, um, fulfilling expectations, um, what else? Like making a dent mm. into the way the world works. All those things seems to be characteristics of our life. Yep. Uh, how does that, you know, can we still use those Stoics ideas here? Because again, we were talking about the resurgence of this, but at the same time, I'm wondering, are those ideas obsolete, right? Mm. Are they, should we confine them to that specific period of time or maybe that and a little bit more, but now are they completely useless to us? Well, it's very different. And I feel like whenever I talk about this with students, they say things like, I get it in general, uh -huh. but this idea of removing all expectations, what would be the meaning of your life? Um, because if you remove all expectations, yeah. don't you suddenly have like absolutely no incentive to do anything, to <laughs> do anything, right? Like how, in other words, how practically speaking, realistically, can it not result in apathy and nihilism? Yeah. How can we do anything meaningful if we don't, yeah. If we don't feel anything, right? And I think the answer is because there's a different conception of what is meaningful. Yeah, definitely. Right? Because obviously if they have some ideal in their head, this is like so contrary to that ideal. But for the Stoic who views the good life in a different way, they're like, no, no, this is the only way you can yeah. live the meaningful life. Yeah, it's just very Greek of them, right? Very ancient Greek of very them. Very right? Greek. And it's hard. Like, okay, I... For me personally, I think in general, there's something very beneficial about having some stoic tools in your arsenal for when things happen. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's good to make yourself so fragile that the moment something goes wrong, you're, you're broken. You're done. Sure, right? absolutely. That said, I don't always think like that like and i feel like the things that that are harder for me are the things that i'm more passionate about for example music mm -hmm. okay i kept using this example in class the other day mm -hmm. whenever i go to a show i am expecting to have a religious experience when i go to yeah. the show and i am also expecting that everyone else there is there to have that same kind of experience and that never happens <laughs> and so i'm going you know whoever it is, like to the Radiohead show or, or uh -huh. insert whatever band. And I, I build it up so much because I, I, I want this ideal. And then every little thing 
screws me up because <laughs> in my field division, I see a bunch of things. I see people talking. And like while the music's playing and I just feel murderous on the inside and I see people on their phones and I see like this and that and this and I'm just like, I'm so concerned with having that ideal. Um, but isn't the show ruined for you at that point? Yeah, no, that's the point. Yeah, Claire is like, you can't do that. You, you're making this so bad for you. It doesn't yeah. have to do it. So it's like you idealize it so much that when you're met with the lack of the ideal, it breaks you. And like, that's me at the concert. Mm. That's not me with everything. Like but the, but I feel like in general, I'm a pretty, yes, I have expectations and I have goals that I set and that I work towards, but I'm also kind of go with the flow. And like mm -hmm. Claire will say this, I'm like pretty easygoing. Yeah. You know, I'm, I don't get stressed easily when I do get stressed But it's intense. But I guess the question is, should you have this expectation? Should I have it? And this is the question. Well, obviously, the Stoic <laughs> would say no. When you go to the show, realize that there will be people that are not concerned. No, no and, and I, I get that. I think that, and that is there. But if you go without expectation to the show, you're going to enjoy the show. Because that is the, that's on, what's on the other plate, of, you know, mm -hmm. what's on the other side of the mm -hmm. or, of the equation here, right? Because the thing is, on one side, and this is the critique, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of are preventing yourself from being disappointed by not building this up. But are you are you going to enjoy the show if you uh, if you are completely dispassionate about this? It seems like no, or at the very least, it's a much lower kind of enjoyment. Well, and if that's the case, though. It seems that having expectations at least give you a chance to enjoy it. But if you remove that, you have zero chances of enjoying this. Yep. Now, this also means that if you have expectations, there are higher chance, ch chances for you to get hurt. Yep. While no expectations means zero chances of getting hurt as well. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I think that if you're a stoic or not, and depends on what's your tolerance for pain, right? Absolutely. Meaning that if you decide that you never want to get hurt in your life, then you should have zero expectation, zero desires in any of those things. If you are okay with the possibility at least of getting hurt, then you can have those expectations and some other stuff mm -hmm. and some desires, it seems, right? Mm. Um And the worst is when you have the expectations but don't take the pain well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Right? That's that like is, the worst combo. That is the issue, I guess. That is the main issue. And I'm wondering if, uh, from this perspective, um, that, well, how can we say? I wonder if this is the problem with Epicureanism, right? This idea that if they misread this part, right? That the mm -hmm. problem is not so much having the expectations, but it's having the expectation without taking the responsibility yes. Of be of the possibility of pain and stuff like that. Right? That's a great way to put it. Because what about having the expectation but recognizing that it might not? Yeah, go exactly. Well? Yeah. Well, we know that they would say no, no, that's still bad because you're still creating disturbances in your soul, mm -hmm. and that is not the right thing to do. Um, but I think that that is the issue, right? The issue is like, is the responsibility, is the taking, uh, taking in consideration that this might not go the way you want. 
mm-hmm. and you still need to be okay with it. So rather than being okay with, how can we say, the way things go, just be okay with the fact that things can still go not the right way. Yeah, and this, so this is overlap between Epictetus and Epicurus for me because um, if you are Epictetus and you say want things to go how they go, yeah, you will have a literally 100% success rate because mm-hmm. you know how many times things didn't go the way they went? Zero, yeah. right? Because it's yeah. a contradiction. So if you do that, you completely minimize pain. And by minimize, I mean eliminate. Yeah. But you lose the possibility for feeling these highs, right? And this enjoyment and this deep mm-hmm. sense of whatever positive thing is. Yeah. And then Epictetus would say, agreed. And what this reveals is that minimizing pain is a much higher value to the Stoics than feeling a positive. Absolutely. And this is Epicurus. Where for him, pleasure is the removal of pain. Absolutely, yeah. So that's the overlap I see. And it's ultimately, like when we're answering these questions about should and should not, um, it ultimately becomes, well, what do you value more? Feeling a positive or not feeling a negative? Yeah, and that is the the main main issue there, right? Uh, To the point that there's this almost this... This acceptance in in those philosophies, or the fact that the base the best state in which you can be is a state of in which there is absence of pain rather than a state of pleasure. Right? And that's the ataraxia. Yeah, right? yeah, that is that is the idea. Uh, now, the difference with Epicurus, I think, is that Epicurus recognizes that there are certain um, certain is it mm-hmm. certain um, how can we call it? Positive desires that are necessary for us to live. Right? Mm. It makes this difference between natural, necessary desires, and you know, and un- unnecessary desires at all. Um, and then there's sub- other subcategories. We don't need to get into that. But I'm saying it, there is a recognition for a minimal base from which you can extract some pleasure. Pleasures that are not intense at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, he has all this thing like, you should eat and you should take pleasure in eating. Like I always make the example chicken soup at all times. <laughs> right? Because it's uh, kind of bland. It's, it's unseasoned. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's just plain, whatever it is. So you can get sustenance, right? You can keep alive. You, or you can have a house, but it doesn't have to be a fancy house. Mm-hmm. You can have clothing, but not extravagant clothing. Right? You have to be like, you need to fulfill those basic desires that make you survive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there are other desires that are also natural, but they're not really necessary. And he has this whole thing against sex, right? Mm-hmm. So sex, too much, too much going too on Too intense. There. Too intense, not good, mm-hmm. right? And he's also this thing that he believes that sex can also ultimately be bad for you mm-hmm. because he, he can lead you to have relationships with people. That's not good. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. But again, that's um, not entirely true, but the, the one interpretation can be said that way. Uh, and then there are these unnecessary desires there, right? Which are the desire for something like uh, riches and uh, extravagant wines and all this stuff. He said, this you need to get rid of because this will eventually make you crazy. Like it corrupts your soul or something like that. Because 
they have no natural end. Mm. So I always make this example. So he says, it's not good to accumulate money. It's not good to be rich mm -hmm. because, of course, you get preoccupied, but also mm -hmm. and especially because there is no limit to how much money you can store. And therefore, you're never going to say, that's enough money for me. You always want more and more. While with food, and especially with chicken soup, you get to the point of like, enough for chicken soup for today. Mm -hmm. I'm done. I don't need to eat more. Um, and I think that that is, an, that is interesting as well, right? There's mm -hmm. this baseline with Epicureanism that is not even there with the Stoics. The Stoics will tell you, well, if chicken soup is bad for you. That seems to be. It reminds me of, um, like we were talking about Chul Han before, he talks yeah. about the idea of the daily bread yeah. and like repetition, how Kierkegaard talks about yeah. that. And yeah. It's like you find the pleasure and the good stuff in the non-intense, yeah. in the bland. Absolutely. But Absolutely. The, the ritually repeatable yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And, and especially, and I think that the difference is even more stark between Epicureanism and Stoicism mm -hmm. when it comes to the more extreme Stoic stuff, right? Oh, yeah. So let's talk about that. <laughs> because I think that the, well, not I think, the Epicurean tell, will tell you that good conversation and friendship are somehow in the realm of the things that you really need. Mm -hmm. uh, you need, to, you need to, to rest and talk with people. That's the ideal. Well, the Stoic will tell you, well, you know, if all your best friends end up dying and your wife dies yep. and, your, and your offspring dies off, you know, don't be, don't fret, right? I have given it back. Exactly. It's like, think of things, what is it like? Think of things like, the, like they're not yours. They, they yeah. You just have returned them. <laughs> he says you're like a traveler at an inn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he starts out with the jug, yeah. right? And he's like, if you break your, and I always say, you know, cup. picture your favorite cup, yeah. right? I have a favorite cup. Yeah. Do you have a favorite cup? Uh, no. You that's, you're one step more stoic <laughs> than I am. So you have your favorite cup. And he says, we get attached to things. Yep. Some people are more sentimental than others, right? And it, it doesn't have to be a cup. It could be like something you attach great value to that's just a mere material object at the yep. end of the day. So something um, you had from when you were little, yep. like your baby blanket or your baby bracelet or something that a family member gave you a long time ago and they're no yeah. longer around, or notes someone wrote you, or yeah. old movie tickets that I always say you saved. And what Epictetus says is, like, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where when that breaks, you're, you're done. You're done. He says, look at it and say, look at me. I am fond of a jug, right? Like, how yeah. silly is this? And so he's against this idea of sentimentality, Mm -hmm. And, and I, this is one of the parts of Stoicism that's very hard for me because I find some of it very admirable and some of it is just very contrary to the things that I think are necessary for the experience of beauty. Okay. But maybe they just wouldn't value something like beauty. I think they would value the volatile nature of beauty, right? The volatile nature. But – um. So at the end of the day, I think I have an Aristotelian relationship of, with Stoicism, which is some of it, some of the time, not all of it, all of the time, or something like that. And, and you know, I, I, you know, I don't have a favorite mug, so probably that's the reason why I find this reasonable to not, not to be uh, attached to material stuff. Mm -hmm. But of course, when it comes to people, which for him 
It's like no difference. That's the big step. That's the even if you can swallow the pill of the, my favorite cup. Yeah. When he says your wife and your kid, just like that, just like the. Child. I mean, and some people will be like, "Yeah, my wife is fine. <laughs> I'll return her." But that's the generic that's, man thing yeah, exactly. to say. But I, I, I think that that is the difficulty, right? And I'm, and again, that doesn't mean that they're wrong, really, right? Mm-hmm. That means it's difficult for me, for you. Uh, but here comes the, the objection that some students have, like, uh, how is that even human, right? Yep. Should we, shouldn't we grieve? Uh, shouldn't we feel that pain? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we be in the position of feeling that pain? Um, and they would say no. <laughs> um, well, maybe that is part of the human experience, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess it all comes to what you think the quote-unquote point is. Yeah. Because the difficulty thing, I I always say that's not the greatest criticism. Because the fact that something is difficult isn't mean, yeah. in itself mean it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It could just mean you are afraid of trying and failing. Yeah. It could just mean you are averse to trying things if it involves any element of struggle on mm-hmm. your part, right? Yes. And that's not a good thing. But you could make a criticism that's different and say it's not because it's difficult. It's because it's missing the point of what makes a human life worth living. And maybe having some pain is not only okay, but uh, essential to the human life, or at the very least essential to doing other things that are essential for the human life. And that's, I think that's the heart of the disagreement, right? We mm-hmm. both agree that we should live the capital G good life, but there's the disagreeance with regard to what the constituents of that good life are. So we've talked about this before, I feel. I am of the idea that pain doesn't need, is not constituent necessarily of the good life. Yes, we have talked about this, yes. But I believe that the possibility of it is not contrary to the possibility of living a good life. Fair so enough. if you run into some, you shouldn't run into it voluntarily, right? <laughs> but if you bump into some pain. I don't know. I just saw Jackass this past weekend and then <laughs> there's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how happy they are in their life, these people. Mm. Uh, they might be rich, but not, That's funny. not necessarily happy. But you know what I'm saying, though, right? Mm-hmm. It's this idea that. It is okay if it happens to you that doesn't ruin your chances of living a good life, which is what the Stoics seem to believe. Mm. Um, but you shouldn't necessarily seek it. It's not, I should say that the goal should be to eliminate it, mm-hmm. but not a cost of eliminating also is correlative, which is pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, I'm wondering, so in their in their view, right, Pleasure is also, the you know, there's a quote, I think it's from Seneca. No, I think it's from, still. Uh, you know, we seek no joy, no pain, mm. no grief, no happiness. Mm-hmm. So they're not even looking for that. Right. The goal is the abs- this absolute uh, detachment almost, right? And they say that the real, the wise man, right, gets to that point. And once you're in there, you're in there to the point that, if something is too big within your life, if something is really disturbing the peace mm. that you have actually um, achieved through the discovery of the laws of the universe, they would say through the discovery of the fact that you had to give up all passions, 
that is the justification. That is the only justification that you have to step out of the movie. Interesting. Right? Their idea is like, look, this is the way this goes. I have achieved peace. Mm-hmm. I'm at peace with the world that I know that things go in a specific way and that I have no say in that. And because of that, I have become dispassionate. Now, once I, it's like once you taste this great food, right? You cannot stop eating it. And if there's something preventing you from being that way, something that's weighing too much on your shoulders, then you're justified to end yourself, right? Suicide. Yeah, which is crazy, right? It's mm-hmm. interesting, this idea that I do all this work, and Seneca is an example of this. So Seneca is this uh, later Roman uh, Stoic uh, that works, his job is, he works in the Nero administration, so not the greatest administration in history to work mm-hmm. with him, uh, the, the, the Roman emperor, right? And he's a Stoic, and he, he allegedly, because there's also people that think that he... It's better than Caligula. Yeah, it's <laughs> close enough. Um, but, you know, oh, so some people think that Seneca liked a lot of the material stuff, but mm-hmm. that's besides the point. So he's a Stoic. And he is living his life stoically. And then something happens. He learns or he thinks that Nero believes that he's part of a conspiracy to kill him. So the emperor thinks that he is in into a plot to kill him. Mm-hmm. And the moment he learns that, he is unable to live stoically anymore. Because it becomes this great... Because, weight upon his shoulders. Yes, and it's like okay. he has fear of this. He's really uh, a fear for himself, from his family. Uh, the laws in Rome kind of suggest to him also that it's better if he kills himself because at least his patrimony mm-hmm. will stay with his wife and his kid. Mm-hmm. So what happens to him, but the way he justifies his, his suicide, the stoic suicide is, I cannot live stoically anymore because I have this fear. So no joy no pain, mm-hmm. no grief, no happiness. All of a sudden, he has this pain, and he cannot get rid of it. So he fails as a wise philosopher, and he decides that that is the way to do it. And that's that. That is it. That is it. This stuff about um, viewing intensity as kind of intrinsically troublesome mm-hmm. reminds me of, I believe... Uh, me and Claire the other day were talking about this and she's reading some C.S. Lewis who's saying something similar with regard to certain kinds of things like I don't know if it was it was sex also or something but but the idea is like if something is that intense you should like stay away from it because it's dangerous like there's something about it Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting manifestations of piecemeal stoicism in different religions yeah right so that would be one part that's showing up in one version of christianity another version i think is um jesus in the sermon on the mount right where the line oh if someone hits you turn the other cheek if someone takes your coat let them have it Mm -hmm. right that's a very stoic thing too yeah and then the thing that always gets brought up in class is someone always says hey isn't this kind of like buddhism Mm-hmm. And I say, to some extent, yeah, because eliminate desire completely because it's the source of all suffering. And this state of nirvana is this 
transcending, you know, the worldly pleasures and things like that. So it's dissolving in the universe. Right? Dissolving, right? And just be, you, the Buddhists would say, you want to be in line with nature so much, you want to become nature. Exactly. You just dissolve into nature. Yeah, which I think is partially similar to the goal of the Stoic, right? Yes. Uh, with the Stoic, you are in sync with nature, right? With Buddhism, you are part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the intensity um, stuff is interesting. And again, the question is, once more, the one of meaning, right? Can we le- can we actually live a, a meaningful existence, mm-hmm. avoiding intense stuff? Shouldn't we strive for intense mm. pleasures? I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, can shouldn't we? So when you eat something, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you want a, an intense? I want like, the best food. Don't, don't you want like that? That taste that? Oh, yeah. you want to eat chicken food all your life? Chicken. I mean, me and Claire season aholics. <laughs> like, people eat our food and I'm like, this is so seasoned. <laughs> so I get it. I definitely get it. If I'm going to eat, like, I want to eat the good stuff. Yeah, and, and the point is, though, again, should we? Should we? Should we? Is it? And again, I my my quarrel with this stuff, and in general, I I bring this up all the time when I talk about ancient philosophy. How actual is it? How relevant is it for us? Again. Is it something that we should study and talk about just as a curiosity of the past? Mm -hmm. Or is there meaning there? Or is there something to learn Mm -hmm. from this? Is it applicable? Again, I don't know. Uh, Can I I live without desiring stuff? Can I live? Can I really? Is it worth living? Should you? Is is it worth living that way? Is it worth living without seasoning in your food? People literally traveled the world just for seasoning. Just for spices. Just for spices, which is very crazy to think about. Um, I mean, I think the question in the background here is, is the certain type of thing itself bad? Or is doing the certain type of thing too much bad? Mm. Right? So is it instrumentally or contingently bad? Or is it just bad? Because we know with Aristotle... It's not intrinsically bad. But for the Stoics, I think it is. But for the Stoics, it seems like it is. Is that a good thing or not? I don't know. I mean, think of unseasoned food, <laughs> uh, no sex. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Um, think of no intense love. Definitely not. No. What about like. Aesthetic experiences that are really intense. Uh, not good. Not good. <laughs> Just going down the list. Not good. So, I I think the question you're asking is the right one, which is I get that you're opening yourself up to pain when you do these things, but maybe isn't that okay if I'm accepting of the pain and able to deal with the pain? I I think that ultimately it is a question of what should we desire, mm-hmm. what should we want, right? What kind of desire should we have? And to rather than just eliminating desire, exactly right. And uh, and the question, of course, becomes then: What does it even mean to desire something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what what kind better? What it means to desire something, and what is an acceptable mm-hmm. form of fulfillment of that desire, right? Yes. Does that desire needs to be fulfilled full fledged all the time? Mm-hmm. Are we able to? Um, to use that in is it possible to be moderate about certain things? Because that is, I think, that is the issue there, right? Because the Stoics will say, well, this moderation that you preach, dear Aristotle, 
doesn't exist because mm. those things hook you so much that then at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do. So I, the you point you're making paid. is addiction is a problem. Dependency is the problem. It seems to be to the Stoics, yeah. I think. But I think the Stoics believe that there is an element of addiction. And, well, the Epicureans even more. Mm-hmm. There's an element of addiction to the world to begin with. Right, like so you can't not be addicted to something so if you, either, you engage. So you either do it, you either engage with it, mm-hmm. and you get addicted, or you don't. And so the thing Aristotle would call mo- moderation is just soft addiction, yeah, <laughs> not, not addiction. Well, they would say that that just doesn't exist. Yeah. That is, that is just a mistake. It's like uh, the Stoics will say, there's no such thing as uh, smoking one cigarette a day, right? Right. Well, you would know this, right? Oh, you- yeah. It's a, they're right about that one. <laughs> They're right about that one. That's why I can't. You know, there's no, there's no moderation. Is just a just a myth. So the, so the devil's advocate defense of stoicism here would be something like, if me and you want to say the problem is the poison is in the dose, so to speak, rather than the thing itself. Does that mean it's okay for me to just do a little heroin? Yeah, exactly. You know, like exactly. can I do a little bit of cocaine? Just, just, just slightly. Just sometimes. And I mean, some people might say yes. Like, I just thought of um, uh, Nassim Taleb. He's like this economist slash quasi philosopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has these very long sets of of books that talk about all these things. And one of the concepts he talks about is is anti fragility. Yeah, and he says like there's stuff that's fragile, which means that uh, they get worse. Mm-hmm. When they're met with some kind of opposition, let's yep. say, and then there are things that are—I forget the word he uses—but uh, resilient. Mm-hmm. And people usually think anti-fragility means that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, no, no. Resilience means you can meet opposition and and stand your ground, right? Yeah. But anti-fragility is the opposite. It is literally you benefit from the opposition or from these things. Okay. And someone like that might say. Oh, if you do a little bit of heroin sometimes or do something different, like the analogy would be if you never walk barefoot on a rough ground, you're never building up your foot muscle. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's good to not be perfect, routine, this thing all the time because actually you're weakening yourself and doesn't that go against the stoic ideal? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, just an interesting little thing here. It is interesting. I, I don't know, again... It is hard, right? I think it is. I, I am absolutely attracted by the ideal mm-hmm. of being unfaced constantly. Oh, yeah. There is an, uh, there, I'm attracted by it, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I like food too much to do that. And the uh, way we can sympathize with it, I think, me and you, on like a social political level, is isn't the, the present age to. This is my version of using yeah. a phrase out of yeah, context, yeah. right? So the present age. Um, isn't it the age of overstimulation? Yeah. Especially with the devil machine, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I, I told you, you should watch the Bo Burnham special. Like, okay. He has the song about the internet, right? And like the, the main line is a little bit of everything all of the time. Mm-hmm. And like, isn't this the thing that characterizes the thing that's going to be our downfall, <laughs> you know? So, well, and if that's the case, then the Stokes are right. Then the Stokes are right, yeah. <laughs> and if... And, and the truth is that probably, possibly, they are right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't have the courage to don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Right? Going down with the ship. Uh, and 
and I think it's it's hard to argue. I, again, I don't know. We all, you know, the, the, I'm thinking of the capital sins, right? Mm-hmm. There are seven of them, and everyone like has one. Oh like, right, right. The, like the gluttony, gluttony and exactly. This, and, yeah, and we all fall at least into one of them, if not multiple. Which one are you? Like all of them, probably. <laughs> um, the the problem is that seems to show you that it is again impossible to find this medium, this perfect medium there, mm. and uh, that at the end of the day, either we bite the bullet and we become addicted to stuff, mm-hmm. or we just or maybe the other way. It is yeah. the stoic way. Maybe moderation isn't the lack of addiction, but it's addiction in really slow motion. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Or maybe there are people, there might be people that are addicted to moderation to do things, you know, oh, right there. Just not, not enough, you know. Interesting. You have to be okay with excess sometimes and deficiency sometimes. I think that would be part of the anti-fragile thing. But at the <laughs> end of the day, yes, I like some stoicism. I think th- we would benefit the present age from a lot of stoic principles. Does that mean I think every single Stoic principle taken to the extreme that Epictetus wanted us to do is my ideal? No. But I certainly think the lack of it is a bad thing, and we shouldn't discount it. I think that in in true philosophical fashion, Stoicism could be a lens through which you look at stuff, right? Mm. It could be a a good point of reference and saying, like, let's say you have a dilemma. You you don't know if you want to eat that super creamy pasta whatever it is or that you want to do this thing that gives you such intense pleasure you are undecided right maybe if you're thinking about it you can look through stoicism and say what would they say right and just taking that pause maybe will let you engage with this intense pleasure for example in a less intense way mm-hmm. so you can keep a little bit of distance and you don't just give in into becoming this addict for this stuff it's kind of a an extra layer that you can put mm-hmm. through yourself and and whatever that thing is imagine it as a as a suit that you can wear yep. before you jump into water right mm-hmm. so you're still gonna get a little bit wet right your hands are not in the suit your face is not in the suit but the rest at least is a little bit protected right there's an extra layer of reasoning that you can do to to avoid again com- being completely sucked in and this is like so many things right like you could put on the stoic lens now and now you could put on the epicurean lens and now you put on the feminist lens and then now you put on the marxist lens and now you put on the evolutionary lens and there's always some benefit to be gained by looking recognizing something as a lens mm-hmm. to view things through rather than as a totalizing thing right and thinking that that is reality the way it's given to us right and i think we can kind of end there yep and ironically we've tried to reduce stoicism to an aristotelian thing <laughs> yeah. a little bit of it sometimes maybe <laughs> well that's not surprising it's just I guess. a lens <laughs> yeah i don't know all right well i'll see you next time with uh whatever we decide to do we'll see you then support us on patreon do it do it do it see you later peace mm-hmm.